Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe dies after a gunman opened fire at a speech. He was 67 years old and was Japan's longest serving prime minister. Texas Governor Greg Abbott invokes the Constitution's invasion clause, allowing state law enforcement to return illegal immigrants to the border. Many families in Illinois are feeling the pain of the 4th of July parade shooting. Some of the victims are in critical condition. The Republican Party in Florida has reached an all-time high of total registered voters. Their lead over Democrats have increased fourfold since December. Find out why the party is gaining numbers. The unauthorized use of former President Trump's name and likeness in election fundraising could bring legal challenges. That's according to an expert commenting on the dispute facing Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. Japan's former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is dead after a gunman opened fire from behind him during a speech. Japan's NHK television reports that he was assassinated while on the campaign trail. The 67-year-old former prime minister was delivering a speech for a candidate's election campaign. At around 11.30 a.m., two shots rang out shortly after he began his speech in the western Japanese city of Nara. He was airlifted to a hospital and later pronounced dead five and a half hours after being shot. The professor in charge of emergency medicine at the hospital says Abe bled to death from deep wounds to the heart and the right side of his neck. Abe was the country's longest-serving prime minister. The shooter was arrested and identified as 41-year-old Tetsuya Yamagami. He was cited by NHK as telling police he was dissatisfied with Abe and wanted him dead. Video from the scene shows what looks like a sawed-off shotgun lying on the ground near the alleged shooter as he is being restrained. World leaders offered condolences via Twitter. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has taken an unprecedented step toward mitigating the border crisis. On Thursday, he invoked invasion powers to return illegal immigrants to ports of entry, but some say it still isn't enough. And today's Jessica Beatty explains. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's new executive order allows state law enforcement to drop off illegal immigrants at ports of entry on the U.S. side of the border. The order comes two days after five Texas counties declared the border crisis an invasion. They urged Abbott to respond and use his constitutional powers. Abbott's order says the Biden administration has abandoned the covenant in Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution that the United States shall protect each state in this union against invasion. In response, under the Texas Constitution, the governor can call on state military forces. Abbott's order says President Biden's failure to protect our border has necessitated action by the state of Texas to ensure public safety and to defend against violations of its sovereignty and territorial integrity. Since Biden took office, Border Patrol agents have apprehended more than 2 million illegal immigrants entering Texas from Mexico. That's according to Customs and Border Protection data. And along the whole southwest border during the same time frame, agents have detected, but not captured, at least 850,000 illegal immigrants. Kinney County Attorney Brent Smith is in one of the counties that declared an invasion. He says Abbott's directive isn't enough. Smith told the Epic Times the directives of this order simply result in illegal aliens being detained in Texas and being released in Texas. He added, without declaring an invasion and invoking the self-defense clause under Article 1, the lawlessness and violence occurring on our border with Mexico will continue. 
We reached out to Customs and Border Protection, asking if the agency plans to support returning illegal immigrants to ports of entry. We didn't immediately hear back. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. It's been four days since the 4th of July parade shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, and several victims are still in critical condition and struggling to survive. Among them is an eight-year-old boy. Here are the details. A Northern Illinois superintendent and her two twin eight-year-old sons were all targeted during the weekend shooting in Highland Park, Illinois. Keely Roberts, the superintendent of Zion Elementary School, and one of her sons, Luke, have left the hospital. But one of her sons, Cooper, is still in critical condition. A family spokesman describes his injuries. Cooper was shot in the chest, and he suffered significant injuries, including a several severed spinal cord. He's undergone several surgeries since Monday, including one last night during which the doctors were finally able to close up his belly. He's currently sedated and on a ventilator in critical but stable condition. Cooper may never be able to walk again because of the injury to his spinal cord. The other son, Luke, suffered injuries from shrapnel and has been released from the hospital. A GoFundMe campaign has been organized for the family and already raised more than $200,000. As you may have seen, there is a GoFundMe page established for the Roberts family to help with the medical expenses they've incurred and for the obvious ongoing treatment and therapy that Cooper will need. And they're not the only family coping with the tragedy. Michael, a longtime Highland Park resident who wishes to not reveal his last name, is a survivor of the shooting. He recounts the moment his cousin was killed in front of him. I don't know if adrenaline kicked in, I have no idea, but I jumped up. I stood in front of my cousin with my back to where the shooter was. I didn't know at this point she'd been shot. I thought she had had a heart attack or fainted in fear. Um, but my daughter jumped up at that point. We both checked for a pulse. There was no pulse. Standing in front of his cousin's memorial, Michael says he wishes future tragedies like this one could be prevented. Good news for the Republican Party in Florida. The GOP has reached an all-time high of total voters in the Sunshine State. One expert says that's because of people migrating there from other states. Florida's Republican Party voter tally has reached 200,000 more voters than the Democratic Party, according to data obtained by the Epoch Times. That's the first time in the state's history. Just in December, the GOP outnumbered Democrats for the first time ever in Florida. Back then, their lead was less than 50,000 voters. By March, the advantage had grown to 100,000 voters in favor of Republicans. And another leap this quarter brings the total to an over 200,000 voter lead. A spokesperson for Governor Ron DeSantis told the Epoch Times that this lead is no surprise. She told the Epoch Times that Democrats are falling in line with Joe Biden's policies that are making Americans' lives harder and more expensive. But Governor DeSantis is standing in their way, making Florida the firewall for freedom. She added that they'll prove that Florida is a red state in November. Although the GOP has the advantage now, Florida used to be a blue state, especially during the Obama administration in 2008. When DeSantis was elected governor in 2018, Republicans were still 300,000 votes behind Democrats. One election expert says this change is due to Florida's successful branding across the nation. He says the huge influx of people into the state is largely comprised of right-of-center voters from blue states coming to a better place to live. Today, there are one million more people registered to vote in Florida than just four years ago. 
Former President Donald Trump has been working to stop candidates from using his name and likeness without authorization, though it may be a difficult process. But one expert says those candidates' efforts may backfire. Here's more. Candidates who use Trump's name or image without permission in campaign fundraising may face legal challenges. That's according to Florida attorney Jeff Childers, a specialist in commercial and business law. He says donors can claim fraud if the alleged Trump connection prompted their donations. He made the comment in reference to this week's legal dispute between former President Donald Trump and Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich, a candidate running for U.S. Senate. According to the Washington Post, a lawyer for Trump's political action committee, Save America, sent a cease and desist letter to Burnovich. The letter reads, your use of President Trump's name, image, and or likeness is likely to deceive individuals into believing former President Trump supports, endorses, or otherwise promotes your candidacy for U.S. Senate in Arizona. He does not. It also warned legal action if Burnovich refused to stop using Trump's image in, quote, misleading ways. Data from the Federal Election Commission shows that Burnovich had raised more than $2.5 million as of the end of March. Based on a Facebook ad archive, Burnovich's cashing in on Trump's name began in November 2021. Most of the ads contain images of Trump or related slogans, along with links leading to a donation site for Burnovich. Childers pointed to the possible legal consequences, saying Burnovich should be worried about legal claims related to fraud. I can imagine, for example, a class action lawsuit brought by folks who donated to Burnovich's campaign, relying on his claimed Trump affiliation. Trump's lawyers have previously warned of legal action against the unauthorized use of his image. But the Republican National Committee has argued that Trump is a public figure and the use of his name in political speech is protected by the First Amendment. Neither Trump's spokesman nor the Brnovich campaign responded to requests for comment. Twitter stock rose by as much as 3.4% yesterday. That's after executives said fewer than 5% of users are spam bots. Company officials say the social network manually reviews thousands of accounts each quarter to get that figure. The company confirms telephone numbers and IP addresses, among other methods, to identify spam bots. Twitter executives say the firm suspends more than a million spam accounts daily. That's double the number that the company's CEO noted in May. Twitter stock tumbled nearly 9% over the last year and erased its post-Elon Musk rally. There is anxiety among investors that Musk won't follow through on his buyout proposal. Some believe he could renegotiate the $44 billion figure, or he might pay the billion-dollar termination fee instead over lingering concerns of more spam bots than Twitter is revealing. Next, we have an update on U.S. gas prices and the way the country is allocating its oil resources. President Biden says gas stations need to bring down prices. That's because he says they are getting gas cheaper than they let on. But our next guest paints a different picture. We hear from a former economic advisor to former President Trump during his campaign. Please welcome John McNabb, who's the former chairman and CEO of the Wilbros Group. Thank you for making the time today, John. Thanks, Kevin. The U.S. has sent 5 million barrels of oil from its Strategic Petroleum Reserve to Asia and Europe. Even though gas prices in the U.S. are sky high, how does this relate to the responsibility of the United States in terms of how it allocates its oil reserves? Well, if you think about, Kevin, if you think about the the Biden administration and their war on uh, American energy, I'm not surprised by this at all. What I don't understand is, my, my thought on this American Strategic Petroleum Reserve was it was to be used for national emergencies. 
And the Biden administration basically has has promulgated this problem with gasoline and diesel and the high prices in the U.S. So all of a sudden, instead of helping the U.S. gasoline prices, they send over almost uh, 100,000 barrels uh, or a million barrels to the uh, to a Chinese company that Hunter Biden might have an ownership in. I just don't understand that at all. Makes no sense to me. What's the impact of a million or a hundred million barrels? I mean, how does this, what's the scale here that we're working at? Well, first of all, it's not a big number, but it's more of a message. So on day one of the Biden administration, he cancels the the, uh, Keystone pipeline, the Keystone XL pipeline project coming out of Canada, which would have provided 800,000 barrels of, of oil a day to the U.S., canceled that. But what that also did was cancel about 11,000 high-paying jobs. And these are very high-paying jobs, Kevin. We're talking about eighty dollars to $100,000 a year. The other impact, however, on that is uh, it's, the impact was on middle America. In other words, this comes out of Canada uh, through North Dakota down through Nebraska and all the way to, to you know Houston, Texas. And so what that does is the communities that were prepared uh, to take in uh, workers, these are mainly transient workers, Kevin, they get paid high money to stay away from their homes. And so I, I was talking to a, a government official from North Dakota not long ago in Washington, D.C., who mentioned the, the negative impact on his community from canceling the, this, this new pipeline project, Keystone XL. Now, gas prices have recently fallen about 25 cents in the U.S. How does this relate to our energy situation, and what are some solutions going forward? Well, for, first of all, the 25 cents is meaningless. Um, I just paid $102.50 to fill up my tank. I don't have a truck. Now, in all fairness, it's an SUV, but me paying $100 for, to fill up my gas tank so what the Biden administration did on day one was cancel the Keystone XL, and that's perception. And perception becomes reality. And perception also uh, impacts the way people think uh, about their livelihoods. So uh, the 25 cents is totally meaningless. We've doubled gas prices since uh, President Biden took over. Doubled gas prices, doubled diesel prices as well. And the last American refinery was built in Colleyville, uh, Louisiana in 1977. So we've got a refining problem in the country. Uh, so what Biden did besides canceling the Keystone XL, uh, he stopped the permitting on pu- permitting for drilling on public lands and permitting uh, for offshore drilling. So you're talking about a uh, you know, huge impact to businesses that are long-term capital investment businesses. You can't build pipelines, you can't build refineries, and you can't drill oil and gas wells if you don't have any uh, sense for what's gonna happen uh, relative to government regulation on our business, and that's just what's happened. John McNabb, former CEO of the Wilbros Group, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thanks, Kevin, I enjoyed this, take care. Coming up, in a former gold mine in South Dakota, scientists begin the search for dark matter. They're pretty sure dark matter makes up 85% of the universe's mass, but no one has ever seen it. Stay tuned for more after the short break.
some people are being denied organ transplants because they're not vaccinated against the CCP virus. Now a legal rights organization is filing lawsuits against U.S. healthcare facilities that are denying patients those operations. The lawsuit was filed by the Pacific Justice Institute. They're saying it's only the first one and there are many more to come. The suit was filed against the University of Michigan's Transplant Center. The institute says hospitals are carrying out illegal and unconstitutional policies by requiring medical treatment against the will of a patient. They say they're planning to file a second lawsuit sometime this week against a clinic in Pennsylvania. The University of Michigan responded to the suit in May. The general counsel for the university said the complaint does not allege the violation of any clearly established constitutional right. With the drought as bad as it is in California, the state will certainly need some help during this year's fire season, and one of the world's largest firefighting helicopters is ready to assist. Fire departments from Los Angeles, Orange, and Ventura counties, along with Southern California Edison, put the largest firefighting helicopter in the world on display. The double-rotor helicopter showed what it could do on Tuesday at the Joint Forces Training Base in Los Alamitos, Orange County. Officials said the helicopter, designated CH-47, can deliver 3,000 gallons of water in 90 seconds. So when you just think about it, three times the water is just three times longer of a span that you watch them drop as you watch the different ones drop. So it just gives us a heavier, it just gives us a heavier hit to hit the fire with. And sometimes fires, depending on what kind of fuel they're in, they have so much energy release in them that it takes that extra water to actually quench them down cool enough to put them out. CH-47, along with other helicopters, will go to the most intense fires. Where we're going to take them is on the active flank or areas where there's uh, a lot of fire behavior. Gaylor advised residents how to keep homes safe during fire season, which spans from July to September. Residents need to have all that stuff in place and they can follow that ready, set, go guideline to help them prepare with what they need. And it includes uh, taking important documents, uh, paperwork, medications, uh, supplies for pets, and uh, things that you would need for uh, an extended duration away from your home. Keeping wood piles away from their houses, large growth vegetation that are growing up against the house, keep them trimmed or eliminate those are probably the best things that they can do. CH-47 is ready for action as its service began on June 24th. It will be extinguishing fires for 165 days this year. Physicists have successfully created a dark matter detector called the Lux Zeppelin, or LZ. It's located at an underground research facility in South Dakota. Scientists believe 85% of the universe's mass is dark matter, but they have not yet been able to prove it. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. In a former gold mine a mile underground, scientists have begun the search for dark matter. They're pretty sure dark matter makes up 85% of the universe's mass, but no one has ever seen it. Scientists say the cosmos that we can see is less than 5% of what's out there. Knowing what the dark matter is is going to tell us about how the universe formed in the early days, uh, why it evolved the way it did, and why it looks the way it does today. Here, a mile of dirt, a giant tank of special water, a second tank, the purest titanium in the world, and 10 tons of liquid xenon block nearly everything that could contaminate their search. We're looking for exotic particles coming from outer space, passing through the Earth. Um, We're building an instrument that we believe will be sensitive to see those particles, and if we see them, it's going to revolutionize what we know about where the universe came from, why it looks the way it does, and what makes up the universe at, uh, at the very smallest scale. 
The idea is that dark matter will run into the nucleus of xenon to reveal its existence in a flash of light seen by a device called the time projection chamber. What we're doing in our experiment is we are basically taking a whole bunch of uh, liquid xenon and we're instrumenting it so that we can see if anything bounces off of it. The key to the whole endeavor is this giant tank called the cryostat. So this is the inner cryostat. A cryostat is a like a thermos. So xenon is very cold and we need to keep it cold. On Thursday, scientists announced they had successfully started up the Lux Zeppelin dark matter detector at the Sanford Underground Research Facility in Leeds, South Dakota. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Sometimes you make the best of what you have. An airplane needing to make an emergency landing this week found space on a sparse North Carolina highway. This is video from inside the cockpit. The pilot safely landed on a four-lane highway in Swain County. No one was injured. The circumstances surrounding the flight are unclear. The Swain County Sheriff's Office applauded the pilot's skills on Facebook. Sheriff Curtis Cochran says the pilot landed safely while keeping his composure. A man was able to walk away after being trapped in a burning car last weekend. That's after he received help from two police officers in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. Police arrived on the scene early Saturday morning. They say the man couldn't open the doors to escape the fire because of an electrical issue with the car. After an unsuccessful attempt to put the flames out with a fire extinguisher, police pulled the man through the window. They say he was released back to his family after receiving first aid treatment. Mailing off a letter the traditional way will cost you a little more starting this weekend. The United States Postal Service is raising the price of postage on Sunday. It will cost you 60 cents to buy a first-class Mail Forever stamp, a slight change of only 2 cents per stamp. The prices for domestic postcards and sending an international letter are also going up. The USPS points to inflation and increased operating expenses as the reason for the price hike. With all of the shortages Americans are now facing, some are worried almonds could be the next hard-to-find item on their shopping lists. According to a recent report from the Almond Board of California, exports of the popular nut are down 13% this year. This, despite the crop doing well and shipments hitting a new record. The Los Angeles Times reports about 1.3 billion pounds of unsold almonds are stuck in processing and packing plants. Experts say while shipping costs have improved, they are still high. The industry is also worried that the ongoing drought in parts of California could impact its harvest. Still, they say sales of almonds remain strong around the world. Seafood fans may want to take a close look inside their kitchen. Bumblebee Foods is voluntarily recalling some of its smoked clams for safety-related concerns. According to the Food and Drug Administration, some levels of unsafe chemicals were found in the 3.75-ounce cans. The products in question were sold nationwide to limited retailers. The FDA says no related illnesses have been reported and no other bumblebee products are affected by this recall. Consumers are advised to either throw out these clams or take them back to the place of purchase for a refund. More information is available on the FDA's website. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, two top senators, one Republican and one Democrat, are visiting the Ukrainian capital. They're introducing a bill that would further punish Russia for the war. And the war in Ukraine overshadows the G20 meeting in Bali. The Russian foreign minister accuses member countries of missing a chance to tackle global economic issues. Find out more right here on NTD News.
G20 host Indonesia urged foreign ministers on Friday to help end the war in Ukraine. That's as Russia's top diplomat accuses the West of missing a chance to tackle global economic issues with frenzied criticism of the conflict. The war in Ukraine and its impact on the global economy overshadowed a G20 meeting in Bali on Friday. Host Indonesia urged foreign ministers to help end the conflict, whose repercussions, including rising energy and food prices, would hit poorer countries hardest. Top officials from the West and Japan insisted the meeting would not be business as usual. Heckles greeted Russia's top diplomat, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, as he arrived for the meeting. Lavrov accused the West of scuppering a chance to tackle global economic issues with frenzied criticism of the conflict. There is only rabid Russia-phobia, which they turn to instead of finding much-needed common ground on key issues on the global economy and finances, for which the G20 was created. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said on the sidelines that challenges from rising food and energy costs had been, quote, dramatically exacerbated by Russian aggression against Ukraine. During the plenary meeting, he confronted Russia about blocking the export of Ukrainian grain and stealing it, a Western official said. Ukraine has struggled to export goods, with many of its ports blocked as the war rages along its southern coast. It is the world's fourth largest grain exporter. Russia is essentially playing hunger games. Ukraine's foreign minister addressed the meeting virtually, accusing Russia of playing hunger games. And shifting the blame on Ukraine for it with the other hand. Two senators from the Judiciary Committee are on a trip to Ukraine to show support for the country and to promote a bill on Russia. They met with the Ukrainian president in Kyiv Thursday. Here are the details. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham and Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal presented their bill on Russia to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky in Kyiv on Thursday. The bill would designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. The purpose of the visit today was to make sure that our resolution designating Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism was the right uh, uh, choice to make. I leave here today more committed than ever to making sure that the United States Senate passes the resolution authored by myself and Senator Blumenthal designating Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. Graham says he believes the bill could get near unanimous support in the Senate. Meanwhile, Blumenthal says he supports sending more military equipment to Ukraine. We should continue upping our game in providing the artillery and air defense and other military munitions and capacity, but also the humanitarian aid that is so necessary with refugees still displaced in the millions. Responding to the senators, Zelensky said he feels the strong U.S. support. He is asking for more equipment to fend off missile attacks on Ukraine's civilian infrastructure. We appeal to you, first of all, so that the U.S. Congress supports Ukraine in supplying Ukraine with modern air defense systems to provide such security measures so that our people are not afraid to live in Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin addressed the war in a speech to parliamentary leaders on the same day. He accuses the West of waging a proxy war against Russia. We are hearing that they want to defeat us on the battlefield. What can I say? Let them try. We have often heard that the West wants to fight us until the last Ukrainian. 
It's a tragedy for the Ukrainian people, but it looks like it's heading in that direction. Putin also said that Russia had barely got started in Ukraine and the prospects for any negotiation would grow dimmer the longer the conflict dragged on. Bad news for the Communist Party in Ukraine. The party was banned in the past. Now a court has ruled to uphold that ban. The Communist Party of Ukraine is now permanently banned in the Eastern European country. Their assets and structural entities have been transferred to the state. The move comes after President Zelensky declared in May that all pro-Russian parties will be illegal. A number of other left-wing parties have been banned as well. Some of those are the Left Opposition, Union of Left Forces, and the Socialist Party of Ukraine. Ukrainian officials have been trying to shut down the Communist Party for years. No right-wing parties were banned for being pro-Russian. Still to come, U.S. Senator Rick Scott is on a two-day visit to Taiwan. Meanwhile, the island rebuked Beijing for sending fighter jets across the Taiwan Strait. All that and more right here on NTD News. U.S. Senator Rick Scott is taking a short trip to Taiwan this week. In the meantime, Beijing also sent fighter jets across the Taiwan Strait. It's a move Taiwan decried as provocative. Here's more on what's happening. U.S. Senator Rick Scott is on a two-day visit to Taiwan. After meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen, he told reporters that the world has changed since Russia waged war on Ukraine. I think what, you know, what Taiwan has to do, Japan has to do, South Korea has to do, they have to continue to, uh, to build interoperability uh, with um, those they think will work with them to defend their freedom. They've got to continue to do more drills uh, to make sure they're ready uh, in case uh, Communist China does uh, or Russia or anyone else does the wrong thing. Um, so I'm going to do everything I can to be helpful. During Scott's visit, several Chinese fighter jets crossed the median line of the Taiwan Strait. Taiwan's defense ministry denounced Beijing's move as provocative in one which has seriously damaged regional peace and stability. The median line is an unofficial buffer zone between China and Taiwan. Normally, both sides stick to their respective areas, but in some cases, the Chinese Air Force goes beyond the dividing line. In the Pacific, the growing threat from China is also a cause for concern. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese raised the issue during his annual meeting with New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Under Xi, uh, China has changed its position. Uh, it is more forward-leaning, it is more aggressive. Australia's position is that uh, we will uh, continue to engage uh, and we want to cooperate with China where we can but we will stand up for Australian values when we must. We have seen a more assertive position uh, from China in our region. But whilst you know, our position is that we therefore, on that basis, shouldn't suddenly say to sovereign nations that they have to pick for whom their relationships are with, we are also very clear on our values and the way that we conduct those relationships. It should be the Pacific priorities first and foremost. They should be free of coercion. The annual Pacific Islands Forum Leaders Meeting is scheduled for next week in Fiji. China's new security agreement with the Solomon Islands is expected to be a high priority on the meeting's agenda. A DHS officer has been indicted for helping China harass Chinese dissidents in the U.S. A retired DHS law enforcement agent was also indicted. 
The DOJ says a Chinese agent hired former DHS agent Derek Taylor to obtain personal information about three Chinese dissidents. That included passport information, photos, and flight and immigration records. Taylor sought DHS officer Craig Miller's help in obtaining the information from a restricted federal law enforcement database. Court papers say the two men lied to cover up the facts when the FBI confronted them. The two are charged with obstruction of justice. According to the DOJ, if convicted, Taylor and Miller will face up to 25 and 20 years in prison, respectively. It's part of a widening federal investigation over an alleged scheme to hunt down Chinese dissidents in the United States. China is strengthening its trade relationship with Afghanistan. The country is controlled by the Taliban, who are currently under Western sanctions. China's ambassador touted trade and investment plans for Afghanistan earlier this week. He also announced $8 million in aid for relief from an earthquake in June, which killed more than 1,000 people. He added that China has long-term economic reconstruction plans with Afghanistan. No country has formally recognized the Taliban after it seized power last year. It happened after the United States and its allies abruptly withdrew troops following 20 years of war. Western countries have imposed sanctions on Afghanistan, including freezing billions of dollars in reserves. These sanctions can only be lifted when the militant regime meets certain conditions, like lifting restrictions on participation in public life for women and girls. China has repeatedly called for sanctions to be lifted. China shares a remote border with Afghanistan and derives influence in the region from its Belt and Road Investment Initiative. The Chinese ambassador said negotiations with Afghanistan were going on for two major mining projects, including a copper mine known as Maysinac. A Chinese state-owned company already has rights to mine there. Worth noting, Afghanistan's largely untapped mineral reserves include large deposits of iron ore and copper. The estimated value of the mineral resources in the country tops $1 trillion. India's anti-money laundering agency says it seized 119 bank accounts over tax evasion. It concerns almost $60 million worth of money from Indian businesses linked with Chinese smartphone maker Vivo. The Indian Enforcement Directorate said Vivo India transferred almost $8 million, or almost 50 percent of its total turnover, outside the country, mainly to China. The directorate says it was done to avoid paying taxes in India. It conducted searches in 48 locations belonging to Vivo India and 23 related entities. That's after an initial probe found that shareholders used forged identification documents and falsified addresses at the time of incorporation. Vivo India's employees, including some Chinese nationals, did not cooperate with the search proceedings. The directorate says they attempted to abscond, remove, and hide digital devices. Vivo India was incorporated in August 2014 as a subsidiary of a Hong Kong-based company. The directorate says all of the company's directors fled India in 2018 and 2021. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, even with tourism returning to Greece, the country still worries that inflation could curb the increase in visitors. Tourism accounts for one in five Greek jobs. Rent and house prices, interest rates, and inflation are all on the rise in Australia, but a charity offers discounted building products to help those in need. Stay tuned to find out more.
A new radio station in Budapest has just launched. It plans to highlight the real lives, voices, and culture of Hungary's Roma community. Figures from Hungary's Roma community are using the airwaves to elevate the voices of the country's largest minority group. Radio Deek has broadcast on FM radio in Hungary's capital of Budapest since January. Its 11 programs focus on Roma music, culture, and the issues faced by their community, and aims to recast the way the minority group is perceived by broader society. Roma people in general has not enough representation in mainstream media and in media in general. And even if they have, it's oftentimes not showing the right picture or the picture that's true to the Roma community. It's oftentimes very stereotypical. Radio Deek aims to give voice to Roma people and break narratives that tend to associate their community with poverty and other social problems. In addition to co-hosting her own show, Paksai is a guide for informative tours in Budapest. In the city's 8th district, Paksai gave a presentation to a group of visitors from the United States. I want to change how, um, how the Roma people are viewed uh, in the society and I want to make sure there is enough light on the values as well, uh, what the Roma community provided through history to the non-Roma uh, society. Paksai says she wants to make sure that future generations of Hungarian Roma will not have to go through the challenges she faces as a child while growing up in a segregated village. We are living in the, in the, in the non-Roma world where we are, we are not the ones who are setting the rules and we are not the ones who, who really decide on big things. So we are trying to do so and, uh, and you know, empower ourselves. Some estimates suggest that Roma in Hungary number nearly 1 million, or around 10% of the population. Like their counterparts throughout Europe, many of Hungary's Roma face discrimination, segregation, and poverty. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Foreign visitors are flocking back to Greece's islands and ancient monuments, raising hopes for its vital tourism industry after a turbulent two years. But the impact of high inflation means a return to normal may still be far off. Here's more. The tourists are flocking back to Greece's beaches. That's raising hopes for an industry vital to the country's economy. This year, the sector is expected to get back to 80% of the record revenue seen in 2019. Babis Vulgaris runs a resort on the island of Corfu. For the rest of the summer, uh, we're optimistic. Uh, July, August seem very, very strong, and that's very important for us here in uh, an island that lives out of tourism. Tourism accounts for one in five jobs in Greece, or even more in places like Corfu. But for all the rebound hopes, there is a new worry too. Inflation is soaring, raising costs for businesses and leaving holidaymakers with less cash to spare. Michaelis Minadakis manages a hotel on the mainland. The biggest problem we are facing now is the cost and the multiplying costs. Not just an increase, but there are multiplying costs of energy, which are unbelievable and which all of society are dealing with. For now, bookings remain strong. Demand from the UK, one of Greece's biggest markets, has tripled compared with 2019. Greek hoteliers will be hoping that the cost of living crisis doesn't bring the revival to a premature end. 
In Australia, rent and housing prices, interest rates, and inflation are all on the rise. But in one South Australian city, Habitat for Humanity is offering discounted building products to the public to help those in need. <laughs> Instead of secondhand clothes, this store in Adelaide, Australia's Northwest is selling discounted building materials, old and new. Launched by Habitat for Humanity Australia, visitors can find everything from floorboards to plumbing, light fixtures to bathroom fittings and furniture, much of it half the usual retail price. Really surprised at how cheap things have been here and it just gives you an opportunity to perhaps buy something that you might have to save up for or you wouldn't get otherwise. It's an initiative that's been 15 years in the making. The money that we raise here is what will go back into our program. So it will go back into the building, um, the, the homes for the disadvantaged and, and for apartments. The organisation so far has built more than 40 homes and apartments for struggling South Australians. But the store is available to all, no matter how they're coping with the rising cost of living. Knowing that what you buy, that the money goes to, you know, housing people. So as well as feeling good about keeping things from landfill and having a nice buy for your house. Many of the new products on sale are leftovers from building sites or donated by businesses as surplus stock. The local council is also hoping it becomes a hub for recycling. Why would we put something out into the um, dump if we can actually use it and put it to good use? Two new charity shops will soon open in the state of Victoria. In Iraqi Kurdistan, conservationists advocate for the endangered Persian leopard. There are only an estimated 1,000 of the species left in the wild. Find out more right here on NTD News. In Iraqi Kurdistan, conservationists are trying to save the endangered Persian leopard, but a combination of hunting and habitat loss continues to threaten the species' survival. Tying a camera trap around a tree trunk in Iraq's Kurdistan region, brothers Bahez and Nabaz Farooq Ali hope to capture footage of the Persian leopard. There are only about 1,000 left in the wild worldwide. The number of leopards was higher back in the day. Our grandparents saw some even during the day. They had seen mothers with their cubs. There used to be encounters. Due to the wars, their numbers decreased. And after the 1990s, when people came back to rehabilitate their villages, they also started to hunt randomly. And this had negative effects on the leopards. Most Persian leopards are in Iran and Afghanistan. The animal is listed as endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Today, conservationists in Iraqi Kurdistan advocate for stepping up efforts to protect the animal. Saran Ahmed is a biologist at the University of Suleimania. It's part of his job to monitor the leopard. We estimate them to be about 1,000, and about 800 of them are in Iran. In Iraq, we recorded much fewer, even though parts of Iraq and the Kurdistan region are very suitable for them. But due to the threats they face, there are only a few of them here. If we made protected areas, they would be back. The leopards are threatened by a dramatic loss of habitat, human encroachment, hunting, and the impact of war. In Kurdistan, they are in real danger. The official record of the leopards doesn't reach 10 individuals. Also, more than 10 leopards have been killed in the past few years. That's very bad. The problems faced by leopards in Kurdistan are habitat loss and habitat fragmentation, hunting and killing illegally, and the decrease of their prey. 
Although hunting of endangered species is prohibited in Iraq's Kurdistan region, regulations can be difficult to enforce. Implementing conservation management plans are key to the leopard's survival. According to data from the Kurdistan regional government, Kurdistan lost almost half of its forest between 1999 and 2018, causing a drastic reduction in the leopard's potential habitat. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The Nashville Zoo is celebrating two new additions, both one of the zoo's signature animals. Officials announced the births of two clouded leopard cubs. The male and female cubs were born on June 30th to the same parents. Each came into the world weighing about half a pound and measuring around four inches in length. The newborn felines are the first clouded leopard cubs born at the zoo since 2019. The zoo's veterinary team is currently taking care of them to ensure their best chance at survival. There are a number of things you should never do when dealing with stress, and there are a number of things you can do. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. One thing's for sure, life will throw you some square balls now and then, or it could be regularly. Some are heavier than others, but that doesn't mean you can't carry the load. Today I have some tips and tricks to help you get on top of chronic stress. There's no simple solution and usually there might be more than one cause. It could be financial, a horrible job, relationship crumbling and a dying loved one. You feel helpless and it's dragging you down. If you could change anything, you would have already. So we worry or we scream at the universe. There are some things that you should never use when dealing with stress. A few include alcohol, junk food, caffeine, nicotine and drugs. Short-term gain, but long-term pain. Aren't these different types of self-abuse? When an emotional whirlpool strikes, it's time to be kind to your bodies, kind to your psyches. During stress, mindset is everything. It's good to understand that life is never fear, and acceptance can help you to cope. It can be very helpful to write a pros and cons list as it can reveal real solutions. If you are dealing with chronic stress, it can be helpful to create a task list and prioritize. More often than not, the shorter the list, the better. Deep, restful sleep is a good stress killer. You may even want to consider adding an afternoon nap to your routine. That's the ultimate in daytime relaxation. It's therapeutic to also keep a journal. If your mind is churning, pull out the journal, write it down and release it. Consider taking up a popular meditation practice like Falun Gong or Tai Chi. Both are rooted in China's ancient culture and are renowned for stress relief. And what about diet? Stress takes a toll on our bodies. So how's your immune system? Make organic-based meals using more veggies than fruit. Avoid ordinary dairy, gluten, sugar and processed foods. And finally, give supplements a try. A few to consider are vitamin B complex, calcium, magnesium, multivitamins, and omega-3s. Cats are known to be finicky eaters, but apparently penguins are too. Animals at a Japanese aquarium are being fed cheaper fish, and they aren't happy about it. Japan's Hakonean Aquarium is about an hour from Tokyo and home to 32,000 animals. The struggling economy there has led to the aquarium doing what it can to cut costs. The penguins and otters typically eat fish called aji, but according to the aquarium, the price of aji has spiked 30% in the last year, so the aquarium switched to a cheaper alternative, saba or mackerel. 
However, as you can tell by the animal's reactions, the mackerel have not been well received. The aquarium says it is accommodating the penguins and otters by mixing the mackerel with Aji, and they are tolerating it. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Thank you.